Hey friends, Phil here. Just want to do a quick informal kind of intro that will then have me introing myself. But just to say a heartfelt thank you to everyone who listens. If you are new to this podcast and this first this is the first episode you're listening to, then where have you been? There's so many to listen to. So uh, you can go back down, scroll through, and there's like loads of episodes. I think they were up to nearly 70. So lots of episodes for you to listen to. I do, however, have a quick ask for every single one of you who's listening to this. Imagine right now I'm right in front of you speaking directly to you. If you could reach out to one or two, two would be awesome, or more, but reach out to one or two people that you know maybe don't listen to this podcast and say, hey, I'm listening to a great podcast. I think you would like it too and recommend it to them. So if you could do that for us, that would be super, super great and I would massively appreciate it. And now I'm going to path to a past version of myself that was introducing this next episode. Welcome everyone to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and today I'm joined by two people. One is our executive director, Jim Grout, and the second is Adam Ames, who originally attended one of our open enrollment workshops and then transitioned into creating a visual art piece based on this. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. So first of all, Adam, introduce yourself to our listeners. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm uh, Adam Ames. I am a visual artist living in New York City. Uh, I work uh, on my own and I also work in a collaborative and the collaborative is called Type A with Andrew Boardwin. We started working together in 1998 and continue to this day. In addition to that, I teach art, both art and uh, also in the photography department at Parsons in New York as well. It's a unique experience for uh, people who attend our open enrollment workshops to have no necessary tie to the field, to becoming in completely new and fresh and and with uh, almost uninitiated to the world of experiential ed. So what brought you to decide to come to High Five and attend a workshop? Well, it was back in 2007, and I'd have to say it was before that, probably 2006, let's say, Taipei was invited to be part of an exhibition at the Indianapolis Museum of Art, and they were uh, turning this adjacent park that they had next door, this 100-acre park, into a sculpture park, something that they wanted to have, uh, of course, sculpture, but turn it into something that would build community and bring people from around uh, the city and around the country to visit the museum and to have a unique experience. We went and we met with the curator of the park, uh, Lisa Fryman, and she walked us around and we saw all of it. And then after we toured it, we, uh, she left us alone and, uh, Andrew and I were walking around and we we're seeing a lake, uh, fields, trees, and we just started brainstorming and something, something just popped in our heads where we thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do some kind of team building? And in our minds at that point, it was something outlandish as an art piece, but also something that would be kind of fun to do, like breaking, well, you want to build community, let's get a climbing tower, let's get zip lines. You know, we just kind of thought of the most immediate 
uh, obvious choices for, for kind of fun activities. And this, you know, mind you, the, the experience we had with edu- uh, experiential education at this point was maybe some stuff in high school. And then what we saw, on, you know, just as it's portrayed in, 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 in the media or, you know, TV shows, movies tends to be a bit comedic. You know, in the portrayals, it's always a, a group of people, uh, who don't get along and they go and then hilarity ensues. So we thought, okay, you know, we know that there, uh, there's some, there's an entertainment value kind of with the concept of experiential education, but also, it is to build a team and it is to build community. And that was one thing they were asking us to do. Somehow it just clicked that this was something we wanted to do. So we went back totally to about it and she just said, yes, she had just had an experience, a team building experience amongst curators and directors of, of museums uh, around the country. And she had just been at one, a retreat where there were events and brainstorming events and all these things to kind of build community, but also try to push the field forward, both in terms of building community. And the next step was, well, if we want to learn how to become team builders or at least get some guidance, where do we go? I can't tell you how, you know, that we, we sought out high five from the beginning, but we did a, a, a bit of research and high five, uh, popped up pretty quickly. And it was nearby, or at least, you know, on the same coast. And we just started doing more and more research. And I'm memory, my memory is not great, but I'm sure one of us called at some point and said, do you, do you ever, do you train, you know, train people for team building? And lo and behold, they do. And I think it was just as things started to progress, we, we, we decided we wanted to do, uh, the adventure basics and, uh, Made a reservation, Jim. Do you do you remember that conversation initially? Of you know, would you do you train team builders? And what was your response to to that? I, do, I believe it was Andrew that called, and it was like so many calls we would get. You know, you get those filled. We all do. Uh, you know, this is what I'm interested in, and our typical response might be, "Well, tell us a little about yourselves. What's your background? What are you looking for?" And that was the first that I heard him when Andrew shared. Well, it's it's me and this fellow Adam. And uh, we're full-time artists. We have we have we have nothing to do with experiential education. Know nothing about it. And I, I think I probably emphasize. But you understand, this is a five-day workshop. <clears throat> this is great that you'd like to come. But we it is a skills training and that sort of thing. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we said, sure, that would be great. And I I remember immediately being intrigued by the idea. Uh, my wife is a artist and an art teacher. Uh, you know, in, the, in public schools, brought much of that same history. And I think interpretation of our work you know from her perspective so it just seemed like a great idea so i'm looking at right now uh the created works of taipei and in there there's discussions uh, uh about this and one particular line stood out to me the prominence of humor and absurdity in much of taipei's work begs the question as to whether or not they intended to take the team building process seriously or if they were approaching it from a critical or even ironic perspective Type A began their team building training at high five with a certain degree of uncertainty and skepticism. What changed for you? Because there's a, there's a transformation somewhere in there that between the skeptic uh, response to what we're getting into and then the end result of, and I'm really here, potentially life-changing experience. Well, I'd like to say that we don't approach things with irony, uh, that, we, that absurdity or, or some kind of humor, absolutely, but we don't 
you know, Andrew and I don't like to approach things from an ironic stance because it's, because it's a stance. Um, and however, you know, we have this kind of improv mentality of yes and. So we think, what if we did this? What if we did this? Yes. And we just kept going with it. And I do remember two things very distinctly. The car ride up after we chatted a bunch and drank coffee and this and that, we both turned to each other. Well, whoever was driving didn't turn, but we kind of had this pause pregnant moment. And we both just kind of said, what, what are we doing here? Like we're actually, we're actually doing this. It didn't last very long. And it's one of those moments like with any kind of performance or, or, or new experience. Um, it's the moment of, of, of reflection. You know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking the experiential education had kind of already started. A lot of what we did as artists and what we still do ties in very closely with a lot of the philosophies and tenets of, uh, that we learned that weekend. We didn't know this at this point. Once we got there, again, we kind of had this moment, uh, you know, it's, it's several moments. But I do remember uh, the first morning that showing up, and it's funny, I just pulled up the names. I, I couldn't remember everyone's name who was there. But it was, it was, it was Chris and Andrew and Meg and Hannah. I, th- I believe it was, a sh- it was a small group. Andrew and I show up and immediately we're the artists from New York. That's who they're referred to as the artists from New York. And we're like, Hey, you know, we just want to, we're here to learn. We're here to be a part of this. I believe we were met with skepticism as well. Uh, you know, it's just like, what, what are they doing here? And one of the first things we were asked to do early in the morning was to stand outside. And to lay down on the ground face first and just kind of lower ourselves, basically put our noses in the grass. When we were asked to do this, I, I must have just bristled a tiny bit because I'm from New York. And as they say, if you want green, order the salad. But I see Andrew looking over at me like, oh, dude, you got into this and you're not enjoying it. And it's not that I wasn't enjoying it. I was like, OK, so we're doing and I. Within a couple seconds, my nose was in the grass. And I will tell you, that was a turning point, not because I'd never had my nose in the grass before, but because I was like, I'm, I'm here to do it. I'm, I, you know, I don't want to bring any of this baggage, negativity, just stance to what, uh, was, was being presented. I want to be open. And I just, and we, we, from that moment on, we just went with everything. I was smiling at Jim because. That activity is a is a classic of Jim's. Uh, back to the earth, uh, he calls it. I, I'm not entirely sure any other facilitators have the confidence to pull that one off. But Jim, to this day, to last year, I saw him <laughs> lead a professional sports team through that. And I think that probably what you what you said is true. I think that there's a relinquishing of okay, I'm in and I can experience this. And once that's done then the rest of the experience can be opened up and it can, it can be a great way to start a program. The next step, and, and even the, the previous step of you coming, was all designed also around you learning how to do this yourself. It wasn't just about the experience, but you learning how to be able to facilitate groups. When Jim has told me the story, and we've we've talked about this before, that's a very very daunting challenge to undertake. What was that experience like? Andrew and I had done enough performances 
just in front of maybe a small art crowd in a gallery or maybe during a lecture we were doing to know that, you know, crashing and burning is just part of it. There's some times when it's, we're going to feel like we're, we're connecting in times when we're not to keep going and to, to be forthcoming about what we are trying to do. That's where we'd always kind of fall back on that. And it happened a lot when we were teaching. So, uh, prior to this and, and actually through it, Andrew and I taught, uh, co-taught classes at Parsons. So we were teaching the same class standing up at the front of the room together. And at times we were completely in sync and at times we were tearing each other's heads off. And it was all part of just our relationship and something that would come out of what we did. Oddly enough, the facilitating part seemed less daunting as we were learning it. I guess I could say that we we didn't know what we'd be trying to do. And when we did find our objective, and this is something Jim always kind of brought us back to during that time as well as after, what's our objective? That's that's a it's it's a a a prompt that we still use today. What's our objective? What are we trying to do? And when we would answer, well, we're trying to facilitate this team in terms of team building, but we're also trying to grow as artists and we're trying to expand the definition of art and we're doing things that we like to think haven't either haven't been done or haven't been done a lot in the art world. And with that comes uh, a bit of leeway that, that, that we were all learning. So that took a, I don't want to say took the pressure off that we, that we didn't think we needed to uh, succeed or at least uh, accomplish something. But it gave us a sense of all the experience that everyone who was involved was going to have was going to have some value. Again, a high five, you know, philosophy. The, the experience is important. It's if we put value on it ahead of time, we're doing it a disservice and we're going to um, create tension in our, in our, minds and our bodies where uh maybe it didn't have to be there tim do you do you remember that the moments of having to to guide them through to the facilitation portion i, I mean i recall it very well it was and there were many s- steps along the way because adam you and andrew had come to several workshops almost like you couldn't come back enough at the time i know my it was myself and and jen stanshale was very involved in this project as well and it, it was fascinating, sort of behind the scenes, when you described who you wanted to do this with, you were going immediately to the highest tier within facilitation from the standpoint, it's going to be a, you know, basically what we'd call a corporate group, even though it was a staff from the Museum of Fine Arts and in, in Indianapolis Museum of Fine Arts, which is usually any audience like that is a, is a challenging one because they probably don't all want to be there. Uh, somebody's telling them they have to attend. It was going to go on for days and there were several sessions. So the, the cut that you were choosing to do was not like going back to, you know, teaching a group of seventh graders or, or whoever it was going to be. So I remember being immediately intrigued by it, but I always had like a little level of uh, being terrified as well. Like, wow, I don't know if they really know what they're getting into. And then, of course, our role was a little odd because we were, you know, sort of on-site coaches you know, prior to what whatever had gone on in all the training workshops, but you can only do so much. You can't jump in the middle of an activity and take it over and that sort of thing. So it was every part of it was very different. And to be with the museum crowd and the whole the whole idea of building the, the sculpture, whatever the sculpture was going to be and how it was going to represent represent adventure education, that's a fairly daunting task. So 
every component of this was fascinating, uh, not to be repeated to this date. Uh, you know, the publication, the book that I shared with Phil, you know, that the museum had put out, that is a one of a kind. Uh, and, you know, we don't ever have much PR and communications here at High Five. We're getting much better at it these days. But that that's a secret that probably should have been out there more because it was just a, a fascinating undertaking on the part of you and Andrew and, you know, had an unbelievable outcome, both with the development of the team of people who thoroughly enjoyed the experiences and then also with the development of the sculpture. Hey, friends, just interrupting, rudely interrupting this interview with myself, Jim and Adam to remind you all that we still have the discount code loaded and ready for the Tinker Books all the way up until December 24th. When you're in checkout, use the discount code VPP. That's all uppercase VPP, and you'll get 25% off that order. So thank you so much. Now back to the conversation with myself, Jim, and Adam. There's a, there's a line that I also highlighted, I think that sums up what you were just saying, Jim, that it's very hard to define the work that we do. When Ames and Baldwin concluded their training at High Five, they were sitting around with other participants on the final evening and asked, how do we explain this to anyone who's not here? There was an obvious answer. You don't. You know, I, I got to jump in here. That, that, the, that exact phrase, almost verbatim, was what Andrew and I said on our drive back from the Adventure Basics. We had our significant others, kids, you know, and, and colleagues, and we're like, how... How do we explain this? How do we convey this? And there, I, I know, I know from having talked to Andrew about it, after we got home, there was a bit of, uh, it, it just very inward, almost melancholy because there was so much to explain. Not just that it was five days of, of experience, but it was the kind of experience and, and taking solace in this idea of, well, you, you don't, you don't have to. It comes out in other ways. And uh, I'm a you know, firm believer in that, both in terms of experiential education, also art. And, and if I go off on a little tangent, w- one of the first conversations we had when we were still the New York artists in, 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 the, in the first day or so of the, the Adventure Basics was, um, well, yeah, you, you guys do art. We do experiential education. And there was this kind of strict divide. And everything we kept hearing out of both you know, Jim and, and everyone around who worked at High Five, as well as the participants, everything we heard out of their mouths were, well, it's about experience, about offering people experience. It's about not, not prescribing things, not giving answers, letting people choose what they want to do, let people interpret it. Don't prompt them too much. Don't, you know, facilitate. Don't lead. Kind of try to be not present in many ways. That is art to us. And that was, and I, I, I don't remember, Jim, maybe you got to tell me, but I just remember trying to, trying to convince you, like, no, 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 you're doing it. And that's why this feels so right. It's because we're doing the same thing, just in a different medium. I think I always shared the same when you mentioned the spouse. So for me, from my wife, Colleen, you know, I've been doing this work for 40 plus years and I think I still leave the house and she goes, so what exactly are you going to do? <laughs> and, it, you know, it's, it's the old elevator speech that never quite comes together. But it, I, it, oddly enough, with her art background, I think there is that, that sort of understanding at a deeper level of what the art means. And, and in some ways, 
the art of working with people, I've always thought that 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 is a form of art. How do you bring a team together, which ended up, I'm sure we'll get to this in our talk here, the, the ultimate representation of the sculpture that you and Andrew created was a, it, it sort of cap, there's the elevator speech right there, <laughs> which will leave the audience waiting for this. Yeah, and I will leave a, an intentional pause. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that the combination or the the relationship is there's an, there's emotions also directly tied to the interpretation of something. So in the experience of us facilitating our activities or the challenge course, the thing that keeps pulling us back is that emotional connection that people then have to that. When Jim sh- shared me this, and w- this is a lead into the to your installation, uh, team building a line. It's such a beautiful construction because as initially I look at it and I see that it's two rings, but once I tie it into the work we do and I realize the connection to the ball rings and the yurt circles and I read into it, then I am immediately connected to it. How did you get to that stage? Well, we uh, originally proposed a, an entirely different sculpture because this we, you know, we were asked to be part of the park. I think there were four or five other artists. And from what we understood, they all posed a sculpture, uh, something that would be built in the park. Some had kind of experience built into it. There were uh, something called funky bones that were these kind of like a skeleton buried in the in the ground that could be used for climbing and playing and picnicking and all of that. So there were, you know, it was, it was still to be kind of functional in a way. So we were New York artists, in, and that translates as bitter artists. And we were having uh, a lot of issues with the way in which art was being presented, uh, controlled, manipulated, that museums would and galleries would present art, but almost present it in an elitist, rarefied way. You'd have to know something in order to, uh, to appreciate it. There was a certain amount of pretension there. So we wanted to comment on that. And, uh, we thought the, f- the first idea was this climbing tower. We love the climbing tower. Uh, we're type A, so phallic objects are always kind of at the, you know, jump forward when we're, when we're trying to make stuff. So we thought, okay, fa- uh, you know, big phallic tower, but we're, we're gonna we're gonna elevate it. We're gonna literally elevate it twelve feet out of someone's reach, so it can't be used. So here's the experience, here's the art, but the viewer won't get to actually experience it. You can see it, but you can't touch it. You can't use it for what it's meant for. So we thought we were pretty smart. We thought this is great, and we started. I mean, you know, then then there's all the team building, then there's the training, and then we start the team building with the group at the museum. And we had, I guess, about two years planned at the beginning, uh, maybe five or six visits over the course of that time. And we got about halfway through that. Well, first of all, after our first meeting, Jim, I don't know if you remember, but we we had stuff planned. And, and as you were, you were always telling us, sequencing is vital. So we had all this stuff planned and sequenced, and that was out the window after the first morning, that this team came together, got to some very deep core issues about art, about community, about what they wanted to do, what, what this whole art nature park was, was for. And we were, I mean, we were beyond impressed and just thrilled that it was, it was kind of getting out of our hands right at the beginning and we had to think on our feet. And if you think we were going to do this without Jim there, you're nuts. We, that was part of, that was part of the deal. We needed, we needed Jim there, uh, our guru, as we called him. In any case, about a year in, 
we were talking about the sculpture and one of the team members just said, yeah, but why does it have to be a tower? And we thought, well, we gave the whole kind of spiel about it. And again, well, why does it have to be a tower? We're, you know, we're having these experiences here and they said to us, and it, it appears that you're, you know, you're, you're happy with them, that they're keep, they're moving forward, that we keep, you know, everything from, there's engagement. Everyone's showing up and, and, uh, and being a part of it. Why are you offering this sculpture that doesn't speak to our experience? And we got a little miffed. Very quickly, we realized a hundred percent right. We came up with this before we even had the experience with the group and they noticed. Not only did they notice, but they were felt comfortable enough as a, as a group to have a discussion and basically tell the artists that we were full of it. So we went back to New York and went back to our studios and thought, okay, you know what? Are, like, are we right? Are they right? Like, how do we, where do we fall? Like, like you don't tell, like, if we're plumbers, you're not going to tell us where to put pipes and stuff. Like, we, we know what we're doing. And that lasted about 10 minutes before we just, you know, we nodded our heads and said, we got to, we got to really rethink this. So we went to our local lunch place and sat down and ordered lunch and a beer or two. And we said, okay, the tower's dead. Long live the tower. What are we going to do now? Our objective was to not only represent the the group, but what the group stood for and what experiential education was offering. So we thought this had to be something that had to do with a, you know, specific experience, but we just kept going back to circles. As you mentioned, you know, bull rings, uh, yurt circles, uh, just, just circling up to talk. And I, I tell you, I don't remember, but 10 minutes later, we had sketches of this thing. It just, it fell out in such a, a perfect way. I don't, you know, I couldn't tell you who said what, who prompted, you know, like what, who prompted what, how this happened, but it just kind of all came out. And I don't, I'm not trying to be all artists, you know, magical power of artists, but there was just something that, that flowed from us, from the group, from all the experiences. And it just, it just happened. And we, we thought it, 10 minutes later, we're like, oh yeah, this is it. We still have to present it to the group. We have to let them, we have to get them their approval which is, uh, was also kind of a shift in how we make art. You know, we don't necessarily make something by committee, but we thought, here's what we're thinking. We'll run it by the various people. And we did, and people seemed to like it, so we went with it. We did have a talk with engineers and astronomers and fabricators, and there were questions of, well, how big can we make this? Or So we wanted to have it be substantial enough, like a I don't want to say a five foot ring wouldn't have been impressive, but we did, we did want to make a visual impact as well. So we thought, let's make this kind of group size. And, and that's where it came from. The icing on the, the cake, or is that right? The cherry on the top? Uh, is that <laughs> whatever price is that at certain point, one point in the year, the sunlight goes through and makes the rings overlap. Mm hmm. That, that's why we had the astronomer. Uh, we were thinking about that. And at some point, we were going to hold that back as type A's kind of period at the end of the sentence. Like, we're going to decide this because, again, we, you know, we can't just open it up to 25 different views and all of that. Of course, we opened it up to 25 different views. And we had a conversation and we said, look, the, 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 the real way this is going to work is if we all have a discussion and figure out something that works for us. There was a, a suggestion of the time of our first meeting 
There was a suggestion of the time of our last meeting. And we went back and forth. And because the park opened right around the summer solstice, we thought, what if we did the summer solstice where at, a, at high noon on summer solstice, that's the only time of the year the rings will align. We learned, again from the astronomer, that on either side of the summer and the winter solstice, there will be two times. Uh, so if you did it a minute before, it would also align the minute after and so on and, until it starts getting narrower on the other end. So we thought, hey, it, it's going to open on the summer solstice. Why don't we mark it as something that's kind of bigger than the group? It's it's kind of universal. I mean, literally universe based uh, on when it would happen. That suggestion stuck. Well, it's fascinating. And I think going back out into the, the tension and energy with the, between you and Andrew and the group in trying to make the transition from you two deciding this is our tower. And I remember you asked me at one point, there was, I didn't want to interfere too much because you needed to do what you needed to do with the group or yourselves and figure that all out. But internally I was saying, when the hell are they going to let go of this tower idea? Because it just, it was, it was too traditional. It didn't, it didn't speak to the depth of what you guys were experiencing. It seemed to me anyway. And I think ultimately as you started to say, Phil, I think when the, the concept, and I don't think it's ever been paralleled, and I think it still speaks exactly to what, when a, a group comes together, no matter what the group is, and it could be a group of students, it could be, you know, a corporate group, it could be a sports team, it could be the group that you were working with at the, at the uh, museum, but the, it's so rare that a group's energy gets so synchronized and really becomes one team so the idea that that would happen so few times in, in the life of the sculpture with the solstice, I just, to this day, is just a fascinating concept. And I think that's what teams aspire to. People say we want to be a high-performing team. It's kind of cheap language in some ways. But when it really happens, and uh, Phil and I did a, uh, Phil did a podcast with uh, one of the head coaches in the National Hockey League, Jeff Ward, not too long ago. And he's experienced this a lot at a sports level and said that's just a rare a rare moment when a team is so involved, they own all the decisions, they own what each other does as a group of people, and then their performance goes to new heights because they're they're really working as one. And I think that transitional point for you and Andrew, and I remember that quote when you said, we can't have 25 people create our artwork. And I understood that tension, but it was like, yeah, but I don't know what to tell you because I think you kind of married, you're in deep now. You're going to have to listen to them and they're going to blow. The idea will never represent maybe what the true experience was for the entire group, not just the two of you. So it's almost like you went from being artists to facilitators and then back to artists to create what was the right depiction of something. I also just want to touch on the point that when, with this idea that the rings, the shadows of the rings would align, pick a time, uh, pick a date, pick, pick a point where the sun is in the sky have it be that moment. And we knew when that happened that people would put some kind of importance on that moment. Again, we were thinking so not in terms of kind of like a goal-oriented final point. And we went back to our training and went back to this idea of the direct, uh, what's our objective, and thought, just because you go there and see it on the summer solstice at 12.46 p.m. or whatever, 1.46. High noon's not actually at noon there. But we said, what if it's cloudy? Does that mean the rings don't work? No, you've had an experience. What if you go there when the, you know, when the rings aren't aligned or the shadows aren't aligned? You've had an experience. Anytime you go there, it's not physical. There's nothing on the ground that denotes this experience. 
So yes, there was kind of a, a focus on this time, but it was a bit of misdirection because you go there and you have the experience regardless of what time you go. That was always the challenge by choice. That was always the, the idea of reflecting on your experience. It went right back to the pamper pole. A pamper pole happened. I saw it. I, I zoomed up there. It took me a while to jump off it, but I zoomed up and I did that. And then uh, Andrew looked at it and was like, mm, not today. And we both, you know, when we were done, we both had had experiences and, and both were entirely valid. And this could be, this is an overarching massive question, really. But what are your thoughts on adventure and experiential ed and its importance post your experience? back in 2007 all the way up to now in 2020 very simply it got in my mind i embraced it and it has been something that i think about i would uh, it's easy to say weekly uh, it might be daily but i think back to the specific times when i was up at high five with andrew i think back to other things that happened after both in indianapolis and and elsewhere but then just the overall philosophy, the overall, my takeaway just has stuck with me. And I had mentioned to Jim earlier, it's not only relevant, but it's, it's active in just about everything that I do. It's easy, again, easy to say like, well, every week, like I have kids. So when I talk to my kids, sometimes I, I want to fade into the background. Sometimes I want to let them lead. I want to facilitate them and the high five experience. It was inter- it has been integral for how I approach my kids. Same thing happens with teaching. I, th- I, I do initiatives. I do icebreakers. I do Zoom. I bring in a lot of, of abstract stuff, but also uh, specific stuff that I learned so as not to lead the kids too much or, or put them in a position where they feel pressured to do things. Uh, so the challenge by choice, of course, is, is kind of always echoing around. And then just, as I said, the, the idea of, Experience being valid, experience being worthwhile and having value. I, that's, that's how I approach just about everything that I can. I bring, I, I bring it into everything. It's, it's been all encompassing. If I was to ask you a question that wasn't asked, or if you wanted to say something that hadn't yet been said, what would that be? On one hand, I would, I would love it if you were to ask, were there any really fun experiences during both the training and the team building with the, with the museum? Or were there any really stressful experiences or were there terrifying experiences? Because we, we ran the gamut and there were some things that were so fun. And again, going back to what we said earlier, I'm not sure I, how I could tell you. So you might ask it, but I'm not sure I could tell you all the kind of fun, crazy, like what were we thinking and I can't believe that worked kind of experiences. I just wish I could bring everybody through a bunch of that because, because it truly was fun. I got, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, Oh, would it be a, f- a fun conversation? Like what are some things, what were some negative effects or what are some things that I would change about my experience with experiential education? And I'd love to be able to throw something out and, and cause some controversy, but I'm a convert, you know, I'm a believer. I think um, an observation I had, Adam, and I think I've shared it before, but 
for you and Andrew, it was very enlightening from my perspective, and I'm sure from Jen's as well. Like it was a to watch your bold confidence in, in many ways. I mean, maybe it was an uninformed confidence too, as I said, to sort of approach this completely unknown thing, learn it, embrace it, and then turn around and deliver it really skillfully. And it did have all those things. It had terrifying moments. It had down moments. It had challenging conversation. It had everything that typically takes place within an adventure education setting. And I think, as I said, sort of accentuated because the nature of an adult audience that's unknown and and they have to come to this thing or whatever. I think they all came pretty willingly, but it was sort of a feat of not to be paralleled in, in doing that. And it taught me a lot in terms of, you know, that's about just going there, you know, and not foolishly because you, you were, were guys were very well prepared and prepared, you know, over the years and then for the moment and pivoted when the moment needed it. And it, we have a program now that's called the edge of leadership. And I think it's so apropos to this because you guys brought yourselves right to the edge on so many occasions. And, and I think I even felt that way as a facilitator at times I was on edge, my edge of like, wow, I hope this works. You know, what if these people don't like this? Well, I can't really step in and do what I think I could do to, you know, to help it or something. But I think I shared with you in the last conversation when we did the big yurt circle with the rope and there were TV crews there and Phil, there was, it was a big crowd. I want to say there was hundreds of people. And then we had this activity plan. It was a typical yurt circle. So no great fascination with that, but there was a the TV camera was up on a big boom and it was probably 40 feet in the air. It's going to be broadcast and all this stuff with the, it wasn't the premiere of the thing. It was just, I'm not even sure what the event was, but they invited the public. And I remember tying the knot for the rope uh, to connect the ends. And <laughs> in my own little self doubt, I said, I'm, I'm almost certain this rope is strong enough <laughs> given the amount of people we had around it, but there was no backing off at that point. And yeah. I, I ultimately knew that it was, but it was, I think it's so indicative and not meaning that about me as much as the, when we all bring ourselves to the edge of something, which you two did. And that was my only moment with that. And that was my responsibility at that time. But the, I think you guys constantly took yourself to the edge of that learning and that's where real learning takes place because it's so, it's so different. And I'm sure that's captured in your artwork as well. I mean, I, I keep talking about my wife, Colleen, but you know, she'll, she'll approach a canvas or whatever it is, not even knowing what it is that's going to come out. And yet, all of a sudden, these fascinating things come forth. And I think that I never envisioned from the first phone call that we're artists from New York, what was going to take place with this. And you couldn't have made this one up, that we would end up in Indianapolis with a sculpture that is the only one of its kind in the world, depicting probably the most clearly the elevator speech that needs to be given to declare what adventure education is about. I said we'd love to take all the credit, but there was... Someone belaying us the whole time. There was a safety net. There's consideration to what we were doing, what everyone else was. It's, I'm not someone who puts a lot of stock in, in, in coincidences or things happening for a reason, but there were too many moments that felt orchestrated by something other than us. And, 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 you know, that's where I'm, I'll stop. I'll stop as that's about as, as far in that direction as I'll go. But I just remember feeling like, it feels right. And it, and there's too many things going in this direction to feel like, well, you know, we don't know enough, so we shouldn't be doing this. It was like, or, or the, or the, you know, the rope's not strong enough. Uh, it was more, you know what? Rope's strong enough. And it was. 
Well, it means a lot what you shared about the impact it's had on you. And we, you know, we always hope that for people to varying degrees, but when you hear it, it's especially satisfying. So, you know, what has me laughing as you say that too, because I guess back then, you know, sequence wise, I would never do that on the, on you, the first There was something about that group, that group, I think I wanted, you, you took us, you took us far, like far and fast. And I and and maybe it was the size, but it was the just the the the, the bizarre mix of people. Yeah. Well, that's cool. the thing about these workshops. None of them are the same. Yeah. You know, the yeah. size, the people, all of that kind of stuff. I've had a great one with a five people group, and I had a great one with twelve. But it's personalities. Sure everybody and, says what I just thought. None of them are the same, but mine was the best. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we always say, and, and, and everyone's right. And, <laughs> And I can I can attest. My first, I also did the Adventure Basics at High Five. That was my best one. Yep. Yeah. And I always try to lead one that is even close to the one I had. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm I'm hitting it. I'm not hitting the mark that I had when I was a participant. <laughs> so I, was like, I think it's the most fun work. You know, you're getting. It's almost like getting uh, first year students. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's something different. They they're untainted. They're not building on skills. They're mm-hmm. so wide open to the experience. And if they know nothing, it's just thrilling mm-hmm. to bring them places they've never been. You, know? you, get, you get to see that look of confusion and uncertainty yeah. that I, I get, again, I, with my, my first year students, I always say that I, I tell them, I actually tell them up front, but I also tell the people it's like, they, they come out of X amount of years, what, 18 to 17 years, 16 years of being told what to do and told what the answers are. I, I, I'm going to let them know that they're, they're going to be confused, but not alone. Mm-hmm. They're going to be, you know, unsure of where they're going to go, but they'll have guys, you know, but there's a net around them. And, sure. and, and, and again, that's, that's directly from 13 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when Phil mentioned it was, the Calgary Flames National Hockey League team we were all working with last year about this time and unplanned somehow we were in a, inside a building and all of a sudden we were down, not back to the earth, back to the tile floor, smelling the tile, dirty tile floor. And they all went along with it. And it was, it was so funny. I mean, it, what a lesson in what you can get people to do, you know, which was usually the theme of the you see, Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the question that I would like you to ask Jim. Have you ever led a group to do something just to see if they do it? Like, you know, like just make something up. It's like, okay, we're going to do the well, yeah. back to inside your own pants. I don't know. Just like just make up something on the spot and see if they'll do it. Well, you certainly have, you know, I'm sure Phil's experience too. Like you just know sometimes, wow, I can do this game with this group. Or I can do that. So you do, you go places, you haven't been because you can just sense they're allowing you. But then sometimes it is a little on the edge and you say, I wonder how this will go, which I actually, I don't even know why I did it with the Calgary Flames. I think, Phil, didn't I miscalculate the time? Yeah, the something? You, you did it because you were the one person who finished 20 minutes early. Because <laughs> <laughs> I screwed something up that I was going to do. It was like, but then we had a fascinating discussion laying on the ground, which I'm sure with you guys, and it was about, you know, I said, well, you know, what did we just do? And so we did this and we did that and we snuggled. And I said, yeah, I said, but, but what, I mean, why would you follow that? Why would you do that? And, you know, it gets into a whole discussion about trusting the leadership and, and then it leads into a discussion about them trusting one another on the team and what that's going to look like. So, you know, it all, it always has a, you know, a hidden meaning and intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think in the early years I thought of it that way, just play the damn things and who cared? You know what I mean? It took me a while to come around, I think. But it's, uh, I think, Phil, you're the master of far more intention than I ever 
could think of intending to do, you know what I mean? It's mm. in a great way, you know, I think, but it, it, it sort of reverse learned, like, yeah, I got to make that and then try to make sure there's a purpose and a meaning, all that. That's probably the perfect link with artists, because what is an artist? What's the artist uh, rendering and what what is her, his or her interpretation of that artwork? And, you know, they just make up stuff. Oh, well, that, is, you know, they get the titles, you, <laughs> you give it and then you say, oh, yes, I oh now I see that. You know? I, I tell I, I tell my students, uh, the, the, the ones like the juniors, the third and fourth years, I said, when when you're being asked about your work, one like once in this class, you have the opportunity to use this get out of jail free card. And when someone asks you a question. Like, well, why, why did you have this for, you know, this group of people, including the two artists from New York and this and that, why did you have them do back to the earth right off the bat? And the answer was just exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, there's, you just, you sound genius. It's just like, mm-hmm. of course. And then everyone's going to go, oh, he knows, like, you know, it's like, he's, yeah. he's a genius. Why did the artist name their painting on a mist? When it looks like absolute nothing, you know, oh, autumn, and then you start conjuring up autumn mist in your head. You say, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. See? Just, just follow with exactly, and and there's you, you, it's like, wow, mic drop. Well, Jim, thank you for blocking the Boston Bruins logo behind your head with books. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I know. What's happening, Jim? That's our other team right here. See, this is oh, no, don't make me get all my Ranger stuff out. Oh. <laughs> I got it. It's over there. I'll leave it over there. Jim, well, the sun starts yeah. to come around, and then I can't see in the screen. So I ah, was somewhat accident. The amount of grief that Jim got in our region for converting to the Flames after working with them was extreme. So Jim, right. you've been resolute, Jim, that you're a Flames fan now, even though you've been a, a, abused. Yep, you yeah. made your bed. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you, everyone. This was great. Thank you so much for for, yeah. for including me. Yeah. No, no worries. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving Article Papa Guy. <laughs>